everyone. You're listening to the Health and Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath, and you can find me on naturopathnsw.com.au. These podcasts will feature discussions on various health conditions, health tips, and nutrition from a naturopathic perspective. Sometimes it's just me, sometimes I'm interviewing guests. All the time, I hope to share with you information on health and well-being with the aim to empower and educate. Please remember that all information is general and not a specific recommendation that replaces consulting with a practitioner. Please talk to your healthcare practitioner before undertaking any changes to your treatment regime. Hi everyone, welcome to Pregnancy Part 2. I'm Alison Mitchell and I'm joined with Kelly Holland from Tonic Health today. And so today we're continuing on from the last podcast and video recording that we were doing. So in that one we talked about nutrients for pregnancy and we had also started to talk about some different conditions that can affect your health during pregnancy as well, such as gestational diabetes, preeclampsia and fluid retention. So we're going to be continuing on from that today. And the first one that we're going to start talking about now is the importance of being conscious of listeria contamination in your foods. So do you want to talk about that, Kelly? Yeah, sure. Um, So pretty much everyone knows that when you're pregnant, you should avoid certain things. Um, uh, There is a long list of of foods that you should probably avoid, but specifically for listeria, you should probably avoid raw meats, um, deli meats as well, um, make sure you're washing your vegetables before you eat them. Um, don't buy prepackaged salads from Woolworths. Just make sure that you're uh, making your own as well. Um, check your use by dates as well. That's a big one. Um, and yeah, like soft cheeses and thoroughly cook your meat. You got anything to add? <laughs> Yeah, no, that that's true. Although I don't, I don't find that the you need to like have your steak well done. No, like, you no, can still definitely. have it so that it tastes good. And a lot of people do sort of freak out about that. But definitely no um, steak tartare or a cup. Yeah, yeah, no blue blue meats. <laughs> yeah, but like medium rare, that's fine. Yeah, because it's still going to be cooked, heated through. Because the main mm. thing is, is that it, it is going to be um, heat. If you're heating the food, then the the cereal is going to be killed off. So that that's yeah, all you'll good. Sure you cook it yeah. So it's yeah. And like a lot of the foods that they do talk about being like your common ones for contamination as well, like your seafoods. Um, if you're cooking it yourself, then it's fine. It's just mm. that if it's sort of been sitting there for a while, then that's when you want to be a bit sus about it. Yeah. Thankfully, in Australia, our actual rates of listeria problems are really low. However, we still just have to put that recommendation out there to be conscious of it because it's better to be safe than sorry. Mm. Um, And I actually think that what you were saying as well about the salads and things like that, that's actually probably more of a concern than a lot of the meats uh, because... Um, in America, most of the listeria contamination is actually from um, supermarket spinach yeah, rather cool. than cheeses and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was reading an article the other day that was talking about how, like, if you eat a salad, uh, like, so say you're in France and you're pregnant, you actually get more frowned on for having a salad than you would for having a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Just different cultures, understandings of what's... Yeah. It's acceptable during pregnancy and that sort of oh, thing. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. <laughs> um, okay, so another problem that can affect a lot of women during pregnancy is fatigue. Mm. So 
This can be most common in the first trimester, but then it can start to creep in again in the third trimester as well. And in the first trimester, unfortunately, like you, you do know that you've just got to rest. Yeah. Because a lot of the time it's like your body's actually um, saying, hey, I'm making a baby right now. Um, you need to chill out a bit. And particularly if you are that sort of um, rush, rush personality, that it might be your body telling you that you need to slow down. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even when you're not pregnant, that's your body telling you to slow down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I find there's a lot of people, especially when they get sick as well, they don't allow themselves to just rest and recuperate and the body does need that rest time. So it's using its energy to heal or make a baby mm -hmm. and not, you know, bombarding it with other chores to do. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And like what might be happening is that like you just need to maybe have more nutrient dense foods and mm. also be conscious that you are eating enough. Yeah. Um, like we, you don't have to eat a huge amount in that initial stage of pregnancies because your calorie requirements only increase by a little bit, but it is still something to consider because we do, um, I, well, I know in clinic, I see a lot of people doing like the 1200 calorie diets mm. and that's just not, a, not enough. For yeah. That worries do. me. <laughs> But as well, on um, the complete opposite of that scale is people use the whole I'm eating for two as an excuse to gorge themselves on food as well. And you're not actually eating for two. You're eating for one and a twelfth. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, you don't need too many more calories later on in pregnancy. But um, and, and it's the type of calories you choose as well, which make a big difference. Yeah. And if you're eating a lot of junk food, then that in itself can make you feel tired. Yeah, definitely, because you have that crash. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So the first thing I would usually suggest um, for someone who's experiencing fatigue in pregnancy is to rest yeah. and then to yeah, amp up your nutrient-dense foods. And then if it continues to be the case, then we might be able to look at herbs like withania um, that can help with stress levels and, and, and adaptogens, so that can sometimes boost up fatigue. But mm. a lot of the time it will pass, and by the time that you get towards the end of the first trimester into the second trimester, fatigue does really start to dissipate. And yeah. then in the third trimester towards the very end, it's common to feel fatigued again. And that is because your body is under a lot more strain at that point, in which point you should start to be winding down anyway and building up your reserves for the birth. Mm. And then right before the birth, you usually get an energy spike, in which case you start cleaning the house madly. That's <laughs> referred to as nesting. And in which case, you know, that the baby's probably coming a bit yep. soon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't miss the nesting phase, that's for sure. <laughs> How long did the nesting phase last for for you? Um, I think I started at around, uh, I started around 35 weeks, I think, maybe even a bit earlier, and I it was ridiculous. I'd get up at about four or four, three or four in the morning and just feel like I needed to scrub the grill or scrub the, <laughs> scrub the laundry, you know. Oh, it was ridiculous. <laughs> Well, I found myself randomly cleaning the oven yesterday with my bicarb and vinegar, and I'm like going, oh, is this nesting? <laughs> yeah, that's Jim walked in and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's not clean enough. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, um, so moving on from that then, um, oh, do you have anything else to add? No, you pretty much covered it, yeah. Yeah, okay.
So another common condition that a lot of women experience during pregnancy is urinary tract infections. So this is pretty common because during pregnancy, the hormones cause the ureters to relax. And so then that allows the bladder um, or the, the urine to flow back up from the bladder where it's no longer sterile into the kidneys, which can be problematic. But it also does allow the urethra itself to relax. So there can be some... Um, cross-contamination of bacteria going from external up into the bladder and sometimes when you do have a bit of a higher blood sugar level as well that can predispose you to getting some urinary tract infections as well mm. on top of that your immune system is completely different during pregnancy too because it has to shift to allow this baby to grow which is a foreign mm. object so it's no wonder that we are much more likely to have that happen so mm. one of the things that you can do is really just work on having lots and lots of water but cranberry juice is really good as well because the cranberry juice helps to stop the e coli from it adhering to the bladder walls so that when you do go to the toilet it eliminates and your immune system is actually able to deal with it more effectively as well. Mm. Yeah no definitely and and making sure that you're keeping the genital area clean as well. Um, sh showering often I, I find that um, when I was pregnant I just could not be bothered but I sort of forced myself to because of I had frequent urinary tract infections um, but also, as you said, um, refined sugar and, and refined carbohydrates plays a big part as well. When you've got a diet that's rich in those, um, I find that the frequency goes up. Um, and also, I, I don't think I have to say it, but always wipe from front to back, not from back to front. <laughs> that's something I've had to teach my daughter because it's just awful. So. Um, and we, when you need to as well, if, if you feel like you need to go, don't just say, oh, I'll go later, do it then, don't delay. Um, and as much as if you've got a urinary tract infection and, and when you're pregnant, you really don't want to drink a lot of water because you're always weeing. Um, and with a urinary tract infection, weeing hurts. But drinking plenty of water is also pretty important as well. Yeah. And when you get further along as well, the weight of the baby will also be compressing the bladder so that it doesn't empty properly. Yeah. And um, sometimes what can happen as well is like, like I've spoken to some of the osteopaths at my clinic about this is that um, the pressure on your lower back means that the nerve signal to the bladder isn't going to be as good. Oh, and that's so, interesting. Yeah. And so then that means that the elimination isn't as, isn't as good as well. Yeah. So, there are things that you can do um, with your diet and then there are things that you can do herbally as well. There are some really safe herbs that you can take to help and definitely cranberry juice as a number one for prevention. Mm. And there are tablets that you can take that are cranberry as well. Probiotics. Yay! <laughs> I love your probiotics. <laughs> yeah, the lactobacillus species are really good for um, yeah. tract infections. Yeah, and... There is some research that shows that taking D-mannose, which is from mm. cranberry, is really helpful. The, the safety studies of that in pregnancy haven't really been done. So mm. a lot of the time the recommendation is to do it from the whole food. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's out there and it may become more commonplace for this recommendation to be later on. And mm. definitely see someone who can help you if you've got any sort of musculoskeletal issues like an osteopath or a chiropractor, like whatever you tend mm. to find the most benefit from and yep. um, in a lot of women as well like you do, you 
during pregnancy, you may not even actually have symptoms of a urinary tract infection. You can get an asymptomatic infection as well. And so that's why when like the midwives or the obstetrician would do a urine test with you. And so they don't really want that to get too bad because um, unfortunately with your um, urinary tract infections, it can lead to um, pyelonephritis. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit of a mouthful. And then, <laughs> yeah, and if that is quite bad early on, particularly before um, like 24 weeks or so, then that can lead to miscarriage. Yeah. Um, however, taking steps to prevent it is, is your preference rather mm. than having to take antibiotics because yeah. antibiotics have their own sort of consequences as well. However, mm. E. coli infections are associated with eczema in um, newborn babies just mm. as much as having not enough good bacteria is. So you've got yeah. to deal with it. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't even know that. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah, and um, and definitely I agree with with the frequent urine testing. I mean, it's non-invasive, and and just make sure that you push for it because I had a midwife that didn't think it was necessary, and I knew for a fact that I had proteinuria, and I I told her to test me, and she didn't. So four weeks went by with four consultations, and she didn't test me, and it turned out I had preeclampsia. So. Yeah, so definitely push for mm. the urine testing. It doesn't take long. I mean, we is free, so <laughs> just push for it. <laughs> How funny. You may even be able to find some dipsticks from the chemist that you could get mm. as yeah. well and do it yourself if you're concerned and you, and you don't have a cooperative healthcare practitioner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, what about mood swings in pregnancy? Was that something you ever experienced? Um, yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, I was more weepy than angry. angry. I'm, I don't get angry often. But, um, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I, again, a balanced diet helps because if you've got those beautiful nutrients in your diet, then you're less likely to have those mood swings. But, I mean, you're pregnant, your hormones are doing lots of fun backflips here and there. So um, I would definitely be liver support. Um, liver support is big because, as you know, the liver metabolizes hormones the same way as it does alcohol. So supporting that liver is really important. Um, plenty of your greens in your diet. Make sure that you're slightly cooking your brassica vegetables like broccoli, kale, all that sort of thing. Um yeah, well, uh, <laughs> hormones are just, yeah, I mean, that's just a part of pregnancy really. But Definitely what, what, agree the liver stuff, but yeah. also, yeah, making sure you're getting your nutrients. And you were talking about the importance of magnesium before in the oh, last yeah, podcast, definitely. and that's one, that's one that's pretty important that a lot of people tend to go through really quickly. And yeah. your calcium and your B vitamins, as you said, mm. if you're eating lots of your veggies, and that, that should be okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's some herbs that are safe to take during pregnancy as well if it's bothering you. So yeah. you could see a practitioner for that. And yeah. also incorporating mindfulness and meditation and yoga, those sorts of things can be helpful mm. as well. But yeah. it's such a, it is an emotional time because like you're, if it's your first one, your whole life is about to change. And if it's your second one, you're probably still going to have a, a lot of change. And then you've got all the hormones on top of that as well. So yeah. But the, the way that the hormones can make you feel really does have a 
lot to do with your state of nutrients to begin with anyway, such as your zinc and your vitamin B6 and, as you said, your liver function. So I think that getting that on track, if you know that you've got a, a lot of PMS before you um, fall pregnant, like getting your nutrients sorted and your liver a bit healthier can be helpful. And your thyroid too, I've noticed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, people definitely. with thyroid issues, yeah, and even, um, I mean, this is off topic, but people with thi- women with thyroid issues are more likely to have severe menopause symptoms, so it sort of mm. works the same way with hormones. Yeah, definitely, and, and thyroid problems are often misdiagnosed as depression too, so yeah. there's that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Okay. Um, and constipation. Another common um, issue for a lot of women during pregnancy. Yeah. And similar to the fatigue, this is actually pretty common uh, because your body is trying to get the most out of its food. So by having more nutrient-dense food, your body will hold on to things um, for, for less amount of time because like it's getting it fairly readily. But as you progress further into the pregnancy, the the actual compression of the intestines is going to be a factor as well. Mm. So making sure you're drinking lots of fluid and having plenty of vegetable-based fibres and good fats can be helpful too. Yeah, definitely. And and magnesium comes into it again there too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and probiotics. Of course. (laughs) Forget those. (laughs) Um, slippery elm can be helpful as well, yeah. and that that can you can take that as a capsule or a powder, um, or you can mix it in with food, and also um, keeping active and doing yeah. a bit of gentle exercise as well. Because when you are getting active, then that the actual movement of your legs up and down is massaging the intestines and getting yeah. things moving through. Yeah, definitely. And then um, just yeah, having bitter foods occasionally can be good too. Yeah. Yep, lemon in water in the morning. Yeah. Drink <laughs> it with a straw, though, to save your teeth. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, and along those lines, there's heartburn. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of women experience heartburn during pregnancy, um, and it's because of the excessive progesterone causing the sphincters to relax. Yeah. Um, so ca- keeping your portion size down and your posture under control is good as well. And then, yeah, and you also just want to avoid a lot of um, tr- your trigger foods as well, which is your spicy and your fatty foods. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then... And, um, and sorry. <laughs> there you go. Right. Oh, I was just going to say that the antacids are usually, uh, it's, I mean, it's antacids lower acidity in, in the digestive tract, and usually it's not a hyperacidity problem when it comes to reflux, especially in pregnancy, because mm. as you said, it's it's the relaxation of the sphincters really. Yeah. 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 So you want to actually be getting things moving through. So chewing your food more and mm. um, having smaller meals will be helpful for that rather yeah. than stopping the stomach acid production. And propping yourself upright as well in bed instead of laying flat. Well, you're not laying flat anyway if you're that heavily pregnant, but um, mm. propping yourself upright um, just slightly so that, you know, your gravity is helping you along as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so another common condition that a lot of women experience is thrush. Mm. And so I think we're all going to shout out now probiotics. (laughs) (laughs) But... <laughs> so probiotics is super important for keeping your gut flora and your vaginal flora healthy, but yeah. also you want to be not having too much sugar mm, <laughs> and refined yeah. carbs. And again... Um, 
hygiene is a big thing as well yep. and making sure that your soap isn't going to – a lot of soaps actually contribute. So <laughs> washing down there – I know this sounds gross, but actually washing without soap can yeah. be beneficial for thrush than washing with soap. I recommend not using soap down there too because yeah. – it does have its own self-cleaning system. Yep. <laughs> and if you're looking after it from the inside, then it will do its job really well. Yeah, exactly. You said it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just be conscious of um, sugar-containing foods like pasta sauces and, and a lot of packet foods and things like that because mm. that's where a lot of sugar gets snuck into the diet and, yeah, um, yeah that's not what we want. Mm. Okay, so um, I've got a, we've got a couple of questions that we can answer um, before we finish up today. Yep. So one is what, what can we do for coughs and colds during pregnancy? So usually what I would recommend for that is to have vitamin C and zinc. Um, and there's, there's a few herbs that are safe. There's a formula called Sinupret, which um, is available over the counter now, um, which is quite good for respiratory conditions. But if you do see a practitioner, they're able to give you an individualized formula of herbs that are safe. And making sure that you're take, taking your rest and um, you're drinking your fluids and things like that is one of the best things to do. Um, we've spoken about it before, but you don't want to take antibiotics if you can avoid it during mm, pregnancy yeah. because the gut flora is really important and a lot of your cough and cold medications you definitely need to steer clear of during pregnancy as well yep agreed definitely and probiotics well of course yeah. the cold flu <laughs> how yep. could i forget exactly <laughs> Yeah, no, probiotics and making sure, again, that you're, you're making sure you're getting the correct strains and not just getting any mm. product at all. And, and a naturopath can help you with that. If you go to a health food store, make sure you look on the label. Uh, usually the strain is in a bracket or um, just a random amount of letters and numbers. Yeah, it, it looks a bit strange. But, yeah, it should say lactobacillus acidophilus and cfm or it should have three different things yeah because then you don't know what you're getting if you don't have that strain yeah okay and then the other one is can i the other question is can i have green tea during pregnancy mm -hmm. so this is a good question because caffeine in pregnancy is something that a lot of people do wonder about yeah and so the recommendation is that you shouldn't have more than 200 milligrams of caffeine a day mm. um, this is different for everyone though because if you have a higher risk of miscarriage or preeclampsia or palpitate heart problems stress anything along those lines you may actually find that you you will be more sensitive to caffeine so yep. cutting cutting it down further than that could be helpful yeah. um, however if you don't have any of those risk factors then the amount of caffeine that would be about 200 milligrams would be um, like one to two cups of coffee a day um, and in terms of green tea that's four cups of green tea yeah, yeah. however no, sorry, I was just saying that um, I remember reading a study that um, they did on caffeine and that, I mean, as you know, caffeine crosses the placenta and the baby can't metabolise the caffeine properly because it's still developing. Um, and there were studies that actually showed that even under 200 milligrams a day of caffeine caused low birth, uh, small birth weight. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, I mean, and it's also related to um, retardation, stillbirth, miscarriage. I mean, it's it's hard if, if you're a complete coffee addict, it's hard to to say don't have any at all. But, I mean, having as little as possible is always best. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is that in a lot of the coffees, the caffeine content varies a lot too. Yeah, definitely. So, you may find that you can have a cup of coffee and it's hardly anything. Um, like whereas like a usual, like a coffee can have from anywhere between 80 to 350 milligrams of caffeine in there. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. So I think just, you've got to, you've also got to know how you feel as well. Like if you feel like you're sensitive to caffeine, then you have to back off. Whereas some people who metabolize caffeine really well, they're not going to have as much of an issue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other question was, when can I, um, when do I have to stop lying on my back during pregnancy? Ah, so, uh, yeah. Um, this is, uh, but basically, it's because the weight of the placenta and the baby will compress the uterine artery or the artery in the abdomen, and that can reduce blood flow to you. So if you're lying on your back and you're feeling okay, then it's fine. <laughs> so most people recommend that you would want to stop lying on your back um, by around 30 weeks because that's when you start to get a lot bigger. But you may actually find that you still feel okay during that time. However, in the last six weeks, that's when you really want to be careful that you're not doing it then. Mm. Um, they talk about lying on your left side as being beneficial. However, that, and that is because the left uterine artery is stronger than the right one, mm. um, only slightly though. So that, de again, depends on, on you and the health of your baby. But yeah. if you're lying on your back and you start to feel nauseous, then that's a sign that, yeah, that's not for you. But as soon as you get up, you're going to feel better. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And another reason why they say the left side is because, it um, keeps the heavy uterus off the liver as well. And so it, it, it mm. sort of promotes the most oxygen and nutrients to the baby. And um, you're absolutely right with, with the weight of the uterus on the inferior vena cava, which is the one, and, uh, and it, it actually promotes, if, if you've got weight on it, they say it promotes less oxygen and nutrients to the baby as well. So um, I agree with you. If, if you're feeling dizzy, if you're laying on your back and you're uncomfortable, then it's time to find another position <laughs> okay yeah great <laughs> all right so we're about to wrap up so mm -hmm. we'll just finish with a few things that you can do to prepare yourself for labor mm -hmm. and um, some resources for pregnancy so in terms of labor preparation there's lots of different birthing classes that can be helpful for you i'm currently doing hypnobirthing which is also known as the, the mongan method and i'm finding that really enjoyable but there are a lot of other ones out there such as your calm birth what what did you do uh i didn't do anything actually unfortunately i um i wish i did the hypnobirthing and the calm birthing but it's funny because when i was in labor and and i was in a lot of pain and everything i sort of I started to do breathing. I actually explained it to a doula afterwards and she said that is exactly calm birth. Wow. So, yeah, I actually started doing the breathing and, and the pains were just getting basically nothing. And um, the, the midwife actually said, I know you're having a contraction, so don't tell me that you're not feeling pain. Like she was, she was getting quite cranky with me and um, she actually threatened me with a caesarean if I didn't start 
feeling pain again. So, yeah, (laughs) even that's an awful story, but she wanted me to push. And I said, I don't feel like pushing. I'm not in pain at the moment. So I'm just saying that, yeah, the calm birthing and the breathing is is surprisingly such a great pain relief Mm. in labour. And if you can manage to sort of distance yourself away from the pain, and and come back to your breath it's actually quite beneficial and really powerful too i was surprised um but yeah and and also looking into hiring a doula because doulas are fantastic Mm. when it comes to birthing and and making sure that you're getting the birth that you want as well because when you're in labor i mean you're sort of on another planet and and it's good to have someone there for you to say to the midwives no this is the birth she wants or you know making sure that you're getting the experience that you're after and making sure you're comfortable as well yeah definitely it's interesting with the hypnobirthing what they talk about as well is that birth doesn't necessarily have to be as painful as hollywood and, mm-hmm. and like a lot of your your friends and family will tell you that it should be. And yeah. the um, the theory behind like birth being painful only really came around in the um, 20th century AD when um, that's when the whole like anti-women thing started coming about in the medical society. <laughs> and they, they talk about painful birth being Eve's curse, whereas there's numerous references in the Bible of like healthy, like pain-free births. Mm. And... Um, what I'm reading is very exciting because if it can just be sensed, felt as pressure rather than pain, that's obviously like a better thing to, to yeah. do. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> you have to let us know how you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of the um, labor preparation and things as well, one of the other things I would suggest is to practice squatting um, mm. beforehand and so you can get your, your muscles and your glutes and your lower back strong because upright births, such as in the squatting position um, on all fours or assisted squatting, tend to have a, a less ri- um, risk of fetal complications um, when they're upset. Distress. Yeah, okay. (laughs) They have less risk of fetal distress and also it has less um, uneven pressure on the perineum so there's less likelihood of tearing and need for an episiotomy and it tends to be much more of an easier labour rather than when you're lying in a um, semi-reclined position such as on your back when the pelvis can be actually um, closed by 30% in that position compared to in an upright position. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Gravity works. Definitely. <laughs> and this, yeah, that, this is a traditional position that a lot of women have birthed in in, in um, older cultures. And so that, that squatting position, leaning against a wall or um, on partner. all fours. Yeah, or on, on, on your partner as well. And I think um, having your partner there and having them involved and educated about the birth is going to be such an important thing yeah. because then they can support you similar to how like a doula would protect your interests your birth partner should be able to do that as well, but they need to have that confidence to speak up. And so getting educated is the way to do that. Yeah. And that's what doulas are fantastic for that too, because they actually, they consult with the mother and the father as well. And they, they give the father tools to get that confidence going as well. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Um, And in terms of books, these are the, um, I've got a few books that I've, I've been recommending enjoying so there's 
This one is by Franciscan nation, um, Jeanette Roberts, The Natural Guide to Better Birth and Bonding. And oh, I love Francesca. Yeah. <laughs> and similarly, um, The Natural Way to a Better Pregnancy. Yeah, cool. Um, she's got a few other books as well on, on breastfeeding and on ways one called Natural Way to Better Babies, which is about preconception care and yeah. also The Natural Guide to well, Natural Fertility. So she's got a few books out there. So it's a really good resource. Awesome, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and for the birth itself, this is a good one. Um, Oh, cool. Active birth. And that one talks about that has like, it's a very 70s picture book in there as well, but it has a lot of um, diagrams and, and pictures for the actual birth itself. Yeah, okay. So, actually, I won't show them to you because they've got some. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I've just got the one. Um, I didn't have this when I was pregnant or giving birth, but um, because I actually studied to be a doula, I don't actually do doulaing anymore, but um, I bought it to sort of educate myself for my patients. It's called Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, mm. and it's by Dr. Sarah Buckley. And um, she's actually an MD and she works a lot with pregnant women and, and it's fantastic because she's, she's a doctor, yet she actually uses her brain when it comes to everything like she she questions everything and if there's not enough scientific data to back up things she questions it you know I, that's what I like about her mm. because she's very well not, that's what, not that's what you want <laughs> yeah yeah definitely yeah. so yeah she's great um yeah and I've also got the this is the hypnobirthing book which oh, is a good cool. resource the, the Mongan method <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing how that goes. Yeah. Well, I'm actually pretty excited. Oh, nice. <laughs> because That's... it's it's about creating a positive a positive feel about it and re- removing fear. And that's how it should be. That's yeah. totally how it should be. Are there any other resources that you recommend? Um, not offhand. Um, I mean, if you are looking to get get into a, a doula like if you're looking to hire a doula um there's uh findadoula.com.au i think it's a dot au um and there's heaps and heaps of doulas who have their profiles up there and and it's all about sort of finding one that you resonate with and um i mean the first interview with your doula is free so feel free to interview as many as you like and make sure you find one that's good for you mm. um but apart from that not really no just get a good naturopath that has an interest in pregnancy and, and birthing. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I, I think as well, looking at breastfeeding resources earlier on is good yeah. as well. So maybe joining the Australian Breastfeeding Association and getting into a class before you actually give birth. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm an infant massage instructor and I do think that it's valuable to have that skill set before you do deliver the baby um, and you can practice on, learn to actually do the massage on the dolls because when you've had the baby, you probably have a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then also like getting a relationship with an acupuncturist can be helpful as well uh, because acupuncture can be really, really beneficial and it can be helpful for um, like bringing on a labour if you're going overdue or you need to for some reason as well. And it does that in a, a less painful way than in normal induction can. Yeah. And I guess from there, raspberry leaf. <laughs> oh, I love, love it. I love it. 
love raspberry leaf. So, of course, we've got to finish off with our favourite herbs yeah. for pregnancy. So, raspberry leaf is probably number one. Mm. And I, I think it's important to remember that it's not actually going to bring on labour. No. It's a toner rather than a stimulant. Yeah. Um, but you can start it... Um, like in, your th- in the start of your third trimester. You can even start it earlier on if you don't have uterine irritability. And um, it's if you do have a, a weak uterus, then it is better to start it earlier. And I usually recommend it in the form of a tea earlier on, and then you can get a stronger form later. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think it, the tea is... Um the recommendation is four to eight grams of tea three times daily. So that's, I mean, that's a lot of tea, but. Yeah, uh, you probably don't need that much if you're starting no. from like your 20th week or something. Exactly. And I mean, I would count that towards your, your water intake too because you'd be mm-hmm. peeing like nothing else if you didn't. Um, and you don't want to overload your kidneys either. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. The tea is great because. I mean, it gets the, late, the the woman's hydration up as well. Mm. But the only thing with the tea is um, it does contain tannins and you don't really want to have it with around your meals because tannins actually block the absorption of, of minerals such mm. as iron and stuff like that. So that's why I kind of prefer the tablets or the, the liquid extract with the alcohol burnt off mm. um, later on down the track because I do like to make sure that the, the woman's getting all of her minerals as well. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, that's that's great. So thanks, um, everyone, for listening. Yay. If you want to get in contact with me, you can find me on my website, naturopathnsw.com.au. Uh, and you can find me at um, www.tonichealth.com.au, tonic with a K. Awesome. So thanks so much for joining us today, Kelly, and thanks everyone for listening. So bye, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>